Good morning, Austin Chapel. How are you? Are you awake? Are you alive? Are you ready? Good, because I'm ready. I'm ready to go. I've got my coffee up here. Whoa, here we go. I've got the speakers nice and loud. I've got my kombucha. Kombucha, is that how you say it? Has anyone ever brewed this stuff? You brew it at home? All right, I got to try your stuff. Sounds good to me. Okay, so uh, today we're going to talk about hope, if that's all right with you. We're going to talk about hope. Um, I am very, very excited to talk about hope because it is something that we need a lot of. The fact is, this world is chaotic. The fact is, this world is difficult and hard to live in. We become pessimistic over time. We become corroded over time. You know, uh, we, we just tend to become more and more calloused as the years go by. At least that's what I found with my own heart. Does anyone know what a flea circus is? Have you ever seen a flea circus? I'm in pest control, so I know all about fleas. Um, the thing about a flea circus is you take, basically, uh, you take a bunch of fleas and you put them in a jar, a lot like this. And there's no fleas in here today, I hope, but uh, just kombucha. Um, what you do is you put all these little fleas in here, and the thing about fleas is they jump really high for their size. And so if you're ever like walking through a flea-infested area, you'll get bites like all the way up here, even on your arms. They can jump so high for their size. It's crazy. No one in this room can jump that high except for Joel. He's got hops. But uh, <laughs> you look like Jesus today, man. You got the hair. It is growing out and down. Man, wear that proudly. Um, so you take these fleas, right, and you put them in a jar, and you actually put a cap over the fleas. So you, you put a cap on the fleas, and what do they do in there? Do they jump anymore? They actually do. They continue to jump. And you know what they do? They hit that cap. So they jump, and they hit that cap, and they jump, and they hit that cap, and they just keep hitting the cap. So to make a flea, service, uh, flea circus, all you have to do is set up a big tent, get a bunch of people, invite them on over, say, hey, you got to come check out my circus. What is it? It's, it's fleas. And then, so you invite them on over, and then what you do is you take the cap off. You put them on the monitor, you put them on the big screen so everyone can see. How high do you think those fleas jump? As high as the lid was. They don't jump as high as they used to jump. Many of you here today are only jumping as high as that lid has been set. All these things have happened in your life. Tragedy, failed expectation, trial after trial. Life has been eating away at your soul and your hope. And so you're, you're stuck only reaching part of your potential, only reaching part of your capacity. That lid isn't there if you believe in Jesus. Jesus comes and he takes away that lid that's been put on us by the world. Are you happy today? Would you describe yourself as a happy person? You know what? I actually don't care about happiness. Truly, I don't care if you're happy. I care about something much, much more profound than happiness, and that's joy. I care about contentment. I care about purpose. I care about how you're living your life today. What are your hopes set on? What are your expectations for the future? Do you wake up with a desire and a wanting 
to serve the Lord? Do you wake up with a contentment? Many people, they, they, they wake up in one of two ways. You either wake up and you're just happy, you're beaming, you're so excited to see everyone. If you've ever lived in like a, a college situation where you're sharing a room with someone, or maybe this is you and your spouse, like one of you just wakes up and you are just so excited, you just start talking and talking, and the other person like rolls out and they're like, oh, am I alive right now? Like they look disgusting, their hair is a total mess, you know, and they're like, I can't talk, I wake up angry. How many people wake up happy? I'm one of them. I wake up and I'm ready to go. We are morning people right here. So if you're looking for a friendly, friendly smile on Sunday mornings, you can go to one of us and you, your day will just be better. But how many of you just wake up and you are grumpy, you are groggy, you are like, why am I alive right now? Anyone? Huh? Does anyone relate to that? Amanda's bravely raising her hand. Yeah. We wake up different, and some people experience life different. Some of us are more emotional, and we're all over the place. Others are more intellectual, and every decision is categorized in a very systematic way. How do you think? How do you feel? How do you experience life? And how has all of the circumstances that have happened to you impacted you for the person you are today? Are you hitting that lid? You're just hitting it again and again and again, not going anywhere. Do you wake up with, with a sense of just not belonging anywhere, with a sense of discontentment, with a sense of just, man, I, I don't know how I'm going to make it through today. My goal for you today is that you will see the hope of the living God and a purpose for your life, that you will see that there is a very bright future in store for the saints of God that there is a very bright future in store, therefore, for tomorrow as well. Let's read, uh, let's read it in Luke 18. We're just going to read verses 35 to 39 for now, but then we'll revisit. And so um, you can actually, I think, just pull my um, voice down a little bit. I'm getting some feedback, and uh, we'll just get on the recording. I'll speak loudly. And so if we check out Luke 35 to 39, it reads, As he drew near to Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging. And hearing a crowd going by, he inquired what this meant. They told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. And he cried out, Jesus, son of God, have mercy on me. And those who were in front rebuked him, telling him to be silent. We're going to revisit the, the last section of this towards the end today, but for now, I want to focus on something. We have Jesus, and, and he's walking. He's, he's going and traveling on his ministry, and there's this man. He's blind, and he's begging by the roadside. If you are blind, and you can't work a job, and you are begging, that means your family's probably not taking care of you. That means you're probably not provided by, and you probably have little to no hopes or anticipations for the future. You are a beggar. You will go nowhere. But then a light, a beacon of light comes on, and he hears Jesus of Nazareth is coming. Oh, man, I haven't, I haven't seen anything about this guy, but I've heard a lot. Many of us have heard a lot about Jesus. We've heard about what he can do. We've heard about what he has been doing. We've seen his work in the lives of others, but we can't see it. We hear it, 
but the hearing stops. And it, it, doesn't, it doesn't go to the scene, to the actual experiential moment for ourselves. This man had no hope. He was a beggar. He was poor. He was impoverished. Have you ever been out in the street before? Have you ever been homeless before? Have you ever been broke before? Have you ever known that that check was not going to go through before? Have you ever gone for a week on $5 worth of spending cash for food? This guy's living this day to day. He's a beggar. Not only that, he's a blind beggar. He cannot have a trade in this society. He could pick up maybe knitting. He could pick up a few different things that he could do with his hands that you can kind of feel out. But in this society, he opted to begging. You see, the the devil is trying to sabotage your hope. There's a very real enemy. That lid that we talked about, that flea circus, that lid was placed very strategically on your life. The devil is at work in the world, and and he seeks to destroy you. He seeks to devour you. He seeks to make sure that lid stays in place. You will not go any further than the lid as long as you let the devil hold it there. If you don't believe in spirituality, I just want to warn you, there is a very, very real devil. There's a very, very real enemy, and he's against you. He is very against you. He's trying to sabotage your hope. And, you know, the crowd was there in this scenario right here. What does it say at the end? It says, and those who were in front rebuked him, telling him to be silent. You're just a beggar. You're just a blind man. You can't do it. You can't amount to it. This is a rabbi. Sit down. This is a religious man, a righteous man. Who are you to approach him? It's a very kingdom-focused mentality of not being able to approach the king, not being able to approach the priest, not being able to approach the, the rabbi. You are a sinner. How can you approach Jesus? They push him away. They push him away. They're telling him to be silent. There are people in your life who have, who have put that lid there, who have worked for the devil to put that lid in your life. And now your anticipation and your expectations have changed. You will not succeed beyond that lid. You're just going to stay comfortable. I'm going to jump to here. I'm going to jump to here. If I go any further, I'm going to get my head hurt. That lid is in place. It hurts to step out, doesn't it? It hurts to say, I'm going to put some faith into this. It hurts to say that I believe I can go beyond the expectation. It's uncomfortable. It takes faith. It takes something we'll talk about in a little bit, not yet, called grit. I love that word. Here's the thing. We live in a hopeless society. There is an epidemic in our culture of hopelessness. Let's go on to that uh, next slide. We've got some stats on there. One in three people over the age of 65 is living alone. I put that statistic in there so that you would be aware. Half of all 85 and up live alone in the U.S. 
where are their families? Where are the people caring for them? Do you know how high the percentage of those people are on antidepressants? They're sad. They are making hotlines for this generation, for these generations, just to call in to talk to someone. I worked in healthcare. I worked at an orthopedic and neurosurgical care center, which means hip replacements, uh, joint replacement, you name it. We did all these things. What that, what that meant was basically, hey, okay, I qualify for Medicare. Now it's time to get some more knees, you know. Now it's, time to get, now it's time to get a new hip, and I can walk around and strut it again. And so this, this, this um, you know, we, we see this lady, and she comes in, and, and our greeters go, and they pull her over to my desk. And I'm like, what happened to you? She's in a wheelchair. Her face is just broken and bruised and bleeding. Her arm is clearly broken as well. And she's in this wheelchair. She couldn't even wheel herself in. She got dropped off by like the, the you know, she called like a, um, I don't know how you call it, but it, basically they come and pick up the elderly and then they charge them, just like a cab, but it's specifically designed for people with disabilities. They paid, like they get there and like, whoa, we need to take you to the hospital right now. She's like, yeah, I know, that's why I'm going. But she didn't even call like the, you know, she wasn't delivered there by an ambulance or anything. So she rolls in. She's got this broken arm. She's got this broken up face. She's strolling over to my desk. And I'm, I'm, I'm talking to her. And I can't even hear what she's trying to say because she's lost her dentures. And I'm, I'm trying to draw information. Where's your family? Who do you know? Who can we contact right now? Do you have your insurance cards? I don't know where my insurance cards are. I don't have any family. Where's your friends? I just live alone, and I fell down the stairs. I took care of her. I got all the info. I looked up her insurance online. I got everything I could do, and then I got her back with the doctor, and then I took a break. I went to the bathroom, and I cried my eyes out. I've never seen someone so broken and so alone with absolutely no ability to take care of themselves. They have, she had no one. This is why I really want to bring up something really important for us as we're dealing with the elderly in our life. One in three for 65. Half of all 85 and up live alone in the U.S. These are not healthy people. The epidemic is no longer dealing with our heart. It's not dealing with cancer. It's dealing with something called loneliness. It's dealing with depression. It's dealing with anxiety. It's all these things that should be worked out in community, but they're not being dealt with. And then, and then we look, one in eight, and I'm sure you've already read ahead because I know you, you're just like me. One in eight, 41 million Americans are on at least one antidepressant. Your friends, your family members are on antidepressants, and it's no big deal. It's a normal, it's a standard thing. And I'm not saying that to, to make you feel like you're, you're not normal if you're on them or anything like that. I'm just saying that there's something wrong. And that's growing. That's increasing. It's increased. Suicide has increased 24% since 1999. 24% since 1999. What? Did anyone go to school? Was anyone in school in 1999? Yeah? It's a lot different now than it was then. It was bad then. Now it's worse. 
It's getting worse and worse and worse. Suicide is the second leading cause of death for ages 10 to 24. 10 to 24, second leading cause of death? Are you kidding me? Man. More teenagers and young adults die from suicide than from cancer, heart disease, AIDS, birth defects, stroke, pneumonia, influenza, and chronic lung disease combined. And there's one more I didn't even put in there. Um, each day in our, in our nation here in the U.S., there's an average, this is the average, of 5,240 suicide attempts. I've been in open dialogue now for quite some time with, with the people I interact with um, about, about these feelings. I've made it very, very important to create a dialogue with whoever I meet. How are you doing? How's your soul? Do you feel sad, alone, depressed? Like these, are, these are very important questions that we all should be asking. And what I've noticed is it's, it's everyone. It is an epidemic. It does match in line with these statistics. We are medicating the symptom while ignoring the antidote for the cause. Taking ibuprofen... It might aid you when you break your arm, but it will not surgically realign your bones. We're just medicating as a culture. We want the quick fix. I feel this way, therefore, I will go to the doctor and get a prescription that he will prescribe me because, you know, if he doesn't, he's responsible, so he's just going to prescribe it. I don't have to see a psychiatrist. I just take the pills and take the pills and take the pills and take the pills. I think there's something greater at work than simply a hormonal imbalance. I'm not saying there are not hormonal imbalances. I am not arguing against antidepressants. I will not do that. I am not a doctor. I'm not a psychiatrist. But I do know that there is something greater at work than the symptoms. Do you have purpose for your life? Does your life have substance to, to it? Do you have hope for tomorrow? Do you have good, healthy relationships or are you alone and isolated and dealing with feelings that you feel like no one else can relate to? Based on the numbers, everyone can relate to them. Are we talking about this in community groups? Are we talking about this in church? Are we talking about this in our relationships with our coworkers and our friends? We have to. It's an epidemic. There is no sitting back. Well, our friends are committing suicide. Well, our family members are committing suicide. If you've walked with someone who's tried to commit suicide or has, my heart breaks for you. That is hard, hard, hard to deal with. Let's respond and let's take some action steps. The symptoms are depression. The symptoms are anxiety and loneliness. The symptoms would be a suicide attempt. The cause is something greater. We lack union with King Jesus, and we lack union with one another. We lack hope in what God has done. And I'm going to tell you right now, spoiler alert, hope is the antidote. How can we embrace hope today? Biblical hope, I think I have, perfect, I've got a definition, definition here 
of biblical hope. Hope is the earnest anticipation that comes with believing something good. Hope is a confident expectation that naturally stems from faith. Hope is a peaceful assurance that something that hasn't happened yet will indeed happen. Hope must involve something that is yet unseen. Hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? That's Romans 8, 24. And Jesus and his return is our blessed hope. Titus 2.13 says that. We can't see him, but yet we know he's coming, and we can anticipate that with joy. Let's go back to that definition of hope. Let's go back two slides. Hope is the earnest anticipation that comes with believing something good. Do you believe in something good? Have you taken hold of the gospel and the good news that is involved with the gospel? Do you have a confident expectation that naturally stems from faith? Do you have faith? Do you have that expectation? Is it confident? If you have those, you're going to have a peaceful assurance that something that hasn't happened yet will indeed happen. Where's your hope for tomorrow? If you have been in the mud, in the sticks, if you have been in depression and anxiety with no hope for years and years and years, do you have hope that tomorrow can be different? Do you have even better confident expectation that tomorrow can be different? You can have confidence and you can expect something. And you, you will have that peaceful assurance, I'm telling you. If you cling to Jesus, you will have peaceful assurance. So here's the question, what should we hope for? Let's turn to 1 Corinthians, and actually we'll have it on the screen if you don't want to turn there. Um, 1 Corinthians 15, we're going to read 54 to uh, 58. When the perishable puts on the imperishable, and the mortal puts on immortality, then, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. What should we hope in? First of all, we need to hope in a Savior, and his name is Jesus. Is Jesus the Savior of your life? Is Jesus the hope in your life? Is Jesus the one who triumphs and is, has victory over death in your life? Is Jesus the one who has set you free from your sin, from your self-doing, from your self-motivation, from your self-discipline? Is Jesus saving you from your own works, which are not good enough? Has Jesus paid the price? Has Jesus paid it all so that you can live a better life filled with hope today? Do you have hopeful expectation and not only what he has done in the past, but what he will do today and tomorrow and in the future as his kingdom comes and reigns? Hope in something bigger than your current situation. Has anyone ever played with a drone before? Anyone flown a drone yet in this room? They're kind of new, but Alan has, yeah. 
they're, they're pretty cool. If you've seen like a lot of the, you know, um, photography or filmography, filmography, is that the word? Um, if you've seen a lot of the videos on Facebook, um, the new trend is, okay, we're done just taking photos on the ground. We're going to get above everything now because we don't have to pay for helicopters anymore. You don't have to pay that $500 fee to get up there plus gas, and then by the time it's all over, it's $1,500, and then you ask for a mileage receipt, and they tell you, we don't do mileage receipts. Sorry, I'm a little bit bitter. Um, but <laughs> drones are great. <laughs> drones are so good. You just have this little trinket, this little machine. You go out in the woods somewhere and, and don't get any licensing because you're above the law, and you just fly that little sucker up, and you have an aerial view. Are you stuck in a hopeless situation? Are you stuck waking up day to day saying, my life sucks? Get an aerial view. Your life is not 80 years here on earth. You are an eternal being set to reign in heaven along with the God who created you, who loves you, who's pulling and tugging at your heart, who's set his spirit inside of you. Have some faith. Have some perspective. Get your head up there in the clouds. I'm not telling you to get your head out of the clouds. I'm telling you to get your head into the clouds, guys. When you see God's working throughout all of eternity, there is hope. We have hope in a Savior named Jesus. Secondly, we have hope in the future kingdom of God. I said, I don't care about your happiness, and I don't. I care about your purpose and your joy. I care about fulfillment in the Lord. I don't care about life situations because they will change. This is not a prosperity gospel. If anyone preaches a prosperity gospel to you, they are a liar. They are a false prophet. This is not prosperity. You can ask Jesus. (laughs) He was broke. And he died on a cross. He was beaten, he was tortured, and he was bruised. Are you willing to have that same life for the hope of the kingdom of God? I'm not telling you there is no hope for your life. There certainly is, and we'll get to that. But I'm telling you, you have to be willing to take up your cross in any situation to follow Jesus because Following Jesus is worth everything you've got. No one will die and say, I wish I would have done less for Jesus. It'll be the opposite. I wish I would have done more for you now that I can see you. Set your hope on the kingdom of God. Imagine if I was speaking to a bunch of enslaved people right now. Let's say we were enslaved as the Jews often were. Let's say we're enslaved as history has often put people in. What if I was speaking to uh, people who were under the rule of a dictator right now who is crucifying Christians at the cross? What if I was speaking to people who saw no hope for tomorrow, but like in Ruth, there was a ruling to eliminate all the Jews? What if that was your tomorrow? Would I be saying, take courage, tomorrow your bank account's going to expand if you give to me today? 
But I say, take courage. You're going to have a beautiful 401k and retirement plan, and you're going to be happy and fat on Miami Beach. No. I'd be talking about the kingdom of God. We're going to worship right now and sing to God as a reflection of what we're going to be doing tomorrow after they execute all of us. That's what I'd be saying. We're going to be kingdom-focused and giving God all the glory. You will not find hope in money. Money will not satisfy you. Your house will not satisfy you. The number of children you have will not satisfy you. A clean doctor bill will not satisfy you. Only following Christ can satisfy you. Only drawing near to Christ can satisfy you. Only the kingdom of God and what it has to offer can satisfy you. Get your heart on the right prize. When I, uh, when I was in, in high school, um, I was a cross-country skier. If you've never heard of skiing, it's because you grew up in Texas your whole life. There's a thing called snow, and it comes from the sky. It comes down, and you get to play in it, and it's super cold, and it's fun. You can throw snowballs. Um, and uh, so cross-country skiing is very cool. You can go uh, side to side, or you can do, do classic, which is forward. There's a few different ways to do it. And uh, I would go before my races. I remember being at the state, the state meet, and I'd go up to the, the lady behind the booth, and I'd say, hey, can you show me the medals today? Yeah, sure. Here you go. I was like, no, 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 no. That's like bronze. Can you show me gold? Yeah, here it is. And I'd look at that gold medal and say, okay, sweet, that's the prize. Now I'm going to go race to win. <laughs> I want you to have your focus. I want you to have, focus is a cool word. It's like, it's like a, it's a, it's a camera word, right? You adjust the lens. Adjust the lens in your life to focus on the right prize. If you don't, you are out of focus and your expectations are not in line with God's expectations. Focus on the kingdom of God. Focus on the future kingdom of God. Focus on the present kingdom of God. Focus on putting God and his kingdom above everything in your life. We look forward towards the marriage supper of the Lamb. We talked about that a couple weeks ago. We look forward towards Jesus' return to end Satan's plans once and for all. Life without this purpose and this focus is a life full of constant disappointment. Life without purpose is a life without hope. It's a life without vision. A life without hope is a life without the presence and feeling and filling of God. Let God fill you today. God commands us in his word to set our minds in heaven where Christ is. That's Colossians 3.1. So we are to focus on an actual place that exists that we know specifics about. Do you have your specifics dialed down? You know how many worship songs that we've sang, maybe even this morning, by people who were enslaved? But they thought about the kingdom of God. They got that aerial view to focus on something so much bigger than themselves, so much bigger than the current situation that they were in. Paul says something really cool. He says, um, he says I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory to be revealed to us. That's Romans 8.18. If we understand this future glory of heaven that awaits us, we won't see our present sufferings. Um, sorry, if we 
do understand the future glory of heaven that awaits us, we will understand and expect and know what is to come. And therefore, our current situations will shrink in comparison of the glory of heaven. Again, get that aerial view. Get your mind in the right spot. Get your hopes in the right spots. Get your expectations in the right spots. So we've said, okay, we need hope in the Savior Jesus. Secondly, we've said we need hope in the future kingdom of God. Third, we need hope for today. We have the Spirit of God in our hearts right now available to us today. And there is hope in that. If you don't have hope for today, you do certainly not have hope for tomorrow or the next day or the next day. Your life drags on and on and the, the, just the whims of depression, anxiety and hopelessness and failure, they just hit you again and again and again. You are tossed to and fro. You are but a buoy in the ocean. Scripture says that hope in eternity changes our lives, but it also produces hope for today. I want to read verse uh, 58 again. Um, You don't have to turn back there. I'll read it here. It says, Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. And so he goes and he's like encouraging us, focus on the kingdom, focus on the Savior. But then he goes here and he says, Be steadfast, immovable. Don't be that buoy against the waves. He says, be immovable, always abounding in the what? Say it with me, work. Always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Interesting. Your occupation or what you do in retirement and the work that you do in retirement is directly related to the hope that you have for tomorrow because you've been called to a very specific purpose, and that is to work. Whoa, did, did I just say that? Did I just say that work is a good thing? Yeah, it really is. We think of work as a curse. That's, that's not actually biblically accurate. That's not theologically accurate. That's not doctrinally accurate. Work is a very good thing, and we will have work to do in heaven. We will have work to do in eternity. Adam and Eve were placed in the garden. They were given work, creative work. Go name everything, he tells Adam. It's like, this is your job. You're going to be like basically a biologist, classify, identify, name everything. And then he said, oh, yeah, I need you to have a bunch of kids, and I just need you to take dominion over the earth and over the animals. Adam's like yeah, I'm a biologist and I get to go party with my wife. Heck yeah, <laughs> you know. And so we get to work. We get to take pride in our work. How does your work affect your life today? Um, maybe you have some options on the table that you haven't pursued yet. Maybe work is really, really beating down your soul. Maybe you can redeem the current work situation you have. But, you know, that's, that's part of work. The curse is that we'll work by the sweat of our brow. I respect people who work hard no matter what. Let's take a guy like Alan, for example. Alan is in the same profession as me, pest control. He's worked for years on end 
eliminating pests, taking care of customers, doing an exceptional job to provide for his family. And he has been largely successful. From not just a family perspective or provisionary perspective, but a financial like kind of steadfastness almost. Like a that's awesome. Josh is another guy. You work like crazy, man. Six days a week for like the past however many years, five, ten years? Are you kidding me? I have to work one week and I'm like, ah, I can't do this. I'm done. I'm going to quit. I'm... <laughs> you know, we have to really put our full effort into work. We work by the sweat of our brows. So I'm not saying quit your jobs, but I'm saying take some stake in what you're doing. Put some purpose into what you're doing. Take your job and acknowledge that if you're going to be there every single day, then having hope in that situation is vitally important for your soul. It's vitally important for God's plan throughout the world. It's vitally important for the saints of God, for the children of God, for those who haven't been reached yet, for you to be a part of that story. You're a part of God's story. Some characters just are not very present. They get off script. They forget the script altogether. What's your script? What part of God's story do you want to be a part of? I hope that it's one filled with hope. I hope that it's one filled with purpose. So hope for today. Be steadfast. Be immovable. Abound in the work of the Lord. Are you working for the Lord right now, or are you just working for yourself? A lot of those prosperity uh, preachers that I mentioned earlier, um, they'll say, like, man, just work hard, work hard, and God will bless you, God will bless you. A lot of times that's focused, and the focus of work becomes just finances, just becomes a bigger house. The kingdom of God is way bigger than finances. The kingdom of God is way bigger than a four-bedroom house. The kingdom of God is way bigger than a brand-new minivan. The kingdom of God is way bigger than these elements that, that we often put all of our stake into. Like, man, we gotta, we gotta have that retirement plan. We gotta have the white picket fence. We gotta live in that nice neighborhood. We gotta be in that good school district. No, the kingdom of God and the focus there is to honor God. And he will call you accordingly. He will call you specifically. Seek first the kingdom of God and then all these things will be added unto you. Have you embraced that? Or are you just trying to build up your own kingdom? Is your taco bill bigger than your tithe bill right now? You can quote me on Twitter. That's a good one. <laughs> We're called to work. Part of embracing hope is dedicating our work to the Lord. God wants us to work for him. When we embrace this calling of work, we, feel the satis- we, we can feel the satisfaction that comes from living according to his purposes. I feel the need to make a clarification on hope right now. You can hope in a lot of things. You can hope in a bigger paycheck. You can hope in another religion. That might carry you through the next few days or weeks or years. But the fact is that hope must be rooted in truth for there to be true substance to it. 
Hope must be rooted in the truth of the gospel and the truth that Jesus is king and the truth that there is no answer other than Jesus. If your hope is not in truth, your hope is in vain and you will feel empty day after day after day. You must hope in the truth. You must know what the God of the universe declares as truth and the only way to know that is through his word. The only way to know that is through his saints. The only way to know that is through his apostles. The only way to know that is through his ministry. If you do not have truth, you will not have proper hope. You must have truth. You must have truth to your life. Do you desire to know the truth? Do you desire to just casually walk through your faith walk and and fall in from sin time to time where you desire to know the truth of the living God that he declares for your life, that he says you will be a set-apart saint for my working, for my will? can't just be casually walking out this faith thing. We need to desire truth so that we can take hold of the hope that is in the truth. Without truth, hope is dead. Without truth, hope is dead. Hope in something that is untrue is like believing that McDonald's can satisfy your nutritional needs. You keep filling up your stomach with the wrong food. At the end of the day, you've done nothing but prolonged your hunger for something with true substance. We've got to hope in the right thing. And now, I want to talk about what hope produces. Hope produces something I call grit. I love the word grit. Love it, love it, love it. If you're thinking about grits, you're thinking about the wrong thing. Um, Grits are, I also love grits. Does anyone love grits? We're in Texas, y'all. We should love grits. (laughs) All right, let's read Romans 2, uh, sorry, Romans 5, 2 through 5. Through him we have all, through him we have also obtained access by faith into his grace in which we stand and, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance. And endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. We have obtained grace by faith, guys. We rejoice in this hope, this hope of God and his glory and his kingdom. And not only do we rejoice in our eternal triumph, but we rejoice now. We triumph now. I want you to have endurance. I want people to refer to you as a stable person, as a sturdy person, as a consistent person. Do people talk about you and describe you as inconsistent, not trustworthy, flaky, unreliable? I want you to be immovable. I want you to be a sturdy rock, a foundation for others to cling on to. I want you to be a beacon of light, a beacon of hope for people to call to. I want you to be a living representation of what Jesus has done for your life. Jesus will not fail you. He has not failed you. Are you immovable? Would you rather be happy or would you rather be immovable? If your desire is to be happy, guess what? Happiness is a feeling. It comes and goes. 
I'm an emotional person. If you ask me, how are you doing? Oh, I'm, not, I'm never going to say, oh, I'm so happy today. Probably not going to be happy tomorrow. I'm going to have to go to work. I'm going to have to deal with a crazy customer who says there's a gopher in his toilet. <laughs> that doesn't make me happy. No. I'd rather be immovable. I'd rather be a sturdy rock, firm, guided by the truth, guided by the proper hope, by the proper expectation. I'd rather be able to go into any situation and handle it no matter what happens. So when persecution comes, real persecution. So when temptation comes, real temptation. So when feelings come and and death and loss and pain and anxiety and depression comes, I will be immovable because of the faith I have in Christ and what he has done because of the hope that I look to. The hope for Jesus, my Savior. The hope for the coming kingdom of God and the hope for today and tomorrow. Where is your hope? I love the word grit. I really do. I've already said it three or four times by now, so you know that I do. I just feel like this, this word grit is this this this. It has this immovable factor to it. It has this gritting of your teeth. It has this pulling up of your bootstraps. I don't even know what those are anymore. But it's like, you know, you're getting ready. You're putting on the full armor of God, and you're getting through it with faith. We have a lot of uh, emotional people who are extra emotional on Facebook, and you can see their, their mood of the day. Like, you can create maybe, like, a, a graph of their, their, their Facebook feeds. Um, you can do this and send it to them as a report. It would be really eye-opening. Um, <laughs> you know, so if you notice it, they're like, oh, what was me? Oh, I'm the happiest person alive. Oh, I've got a new girlfriend, boyfriend, all this stuff. You know, they post all this stuff online. You can make a graph and say, graph and say man, here's your chart for, like, the year. You're pretty, Im- you're pretty like, movable. <laughs> you know, like, let's assess ourselves. How is yesterday? How's today? How's tomorrow going to be? I don't know. It's probably dependent on your faith in God. It's probably dependent on what your hopes are set on. Let's be people who have grit. We have the ability to be content in all situations, whether poor or rich, whether healthy or unhealthy, whether an expectation of sudden death or expectation of joy and and happiness and bliss. Let's be people who have grit. Let's, let's, Let's be real practical about how we hope and how we choose to hope. And I want to talk about just a few practical things to encouraging the hopeless. Um, I have a, a scripture for First Peter. You, you can actually skip past that uh, just for time's sake. Um, and so the, the thing that I want us to get out of, out of the scriptures and, and how they tell us to really deal with people who don't have hope is first have hope yourself. You got to draw on hope yourself. You got to believe in tomorrow yourself. Secondly, is adopting a lifestyle of exhortation and encouragement. They're two different things. Encouragement is saying, man, I, just, I really want to encourage you and just love on you right now and tell you just like 
how great you are and that I believe in you and that we can get through this. You need someone encouraging in your life if you don't have them. But you need to be encouraging others more than you ever have before. I promise you, you're not encouraging others enough. You can always encourage more. You can always encourage more. Exhorting is really cool. Exhorting is more like a challenge that you have for people. It's, so it's like you could say, like, hey, I want to encourage you to do something, and then all of a sudden it's not encouraging at all. It's exhorting. I want to exhort you to this specific task. I want to exhort you to follow the calling of God. I want to exhort you to read more about that specific scripture. Speak into people's lives. Speak with the word of God into their lives. Love earnestly. So have hope yourself, encourage, exhort, love earnestly. Adopt just a lifestyle of love. Get to know people's love languages. That's really trendy. It's been that way for like the last five or six years. Um, just know how to love people. Sophie's making a really cool app right now, now that I'm thinking about it. And it's like based on, this is like a totally cool plug for her right now. Um, it's based on um, your love languages. And then it's like, it's like this application that helps you love your spouse better. Like it encourages you every day with different things to do for them. Um, I like that. Let's get creative. Let's get real creative with how to love others, how to love one another, how to exhort one another, how to encourage one another because we need it. Show hospitality. Guys, this is a dying gift. Can I just say that? I was at a church full-time on staff, youth pastor, two and a half years you know how many times I got asked to dinner? Twice. By the staff members. <laughs> Two and a half years of working with kids, like 120 kids total. I was just a single guy, you know? Like, we're, Can we be more hospitable than that, church? Raise your hand if you've been invited to dinner or to someone's home in this house other than community group. That's not enough. We need to be hospitable. We need to open up our houses and our homes and our lives to one another so that we can share feelings and emotions and life and experience life together. If this is just a check-in spot for you, you are doing church wrong. You're not helping God's church. You're not helping yourself. We need to be invested. Let's open up our lives. Let's open up our homes to something called hospitality. I think it's a dying gift, and we can be so much better at it. Alan's huge on hospitality. He's, like, talking about it all the time. Let's be hospitable, guys. You know, like, let's open up everything. Yes, let's do it. Come on. Invite someone to your house after church today. Invite them throughout the week. Do something crazy. Just invite them over for food, and then watch the Lord work. That's the key to my community group. I didn't have anyone to come to my community group. Josh and Stephen called me out. They said, start a community group. It's like, who's going to come? They're like, I don't know. Just do it. So it's like, okay, if I'm going to do this, I better go to the Old, Old Testament, think about how they did church. Let's go to the New Testament, think about how they did church. It's like, oh, I totally figured it out. You just make food and people show up. <laughs> That's hospitality at its finest. That's church at its finest. Just make food. 
Now I've got like 16 people that came out of nowhere. And they're, they're, they're like college students and millennials, so they're, they're kind of flaky, you know, they, they float in and out. But we've got a good crew going. We've got a consistent core. Um, everyone in this room, you're great. I love you. <laughs> let's, let's finish with um, Luke 18, 39 to 43. says, but this man, this is the blind man. So we've done, we've done, we've come back to full circle now. But he cried out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. So they've just pushed him away. They've pushed him back. Have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and commanded him to be brought to him. Someone comes and they, they grab him by the elbow and, and guide him over to Jesus. He says, when he came near, he asked him, what do you want me to do for He said, Lord, let me recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, recover your sight. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and following him, glorifying God. And all the people, when they saw it, gave praise to God. I love this. He says, Lord, let me recover my sight. And he says, Your faith has made you well. How do you want to feel today? How do you want to feel tomorrow? How do you want to feel with a vision and purpose in your life? Well, that's how we want to feel. Your faith can make you well. Put it in the right thing. Cling to the truth. Cling to hope. Get rid of that lid. The only way of getting rid of that lid is by letting Jesus do it. Put some faith in him to remove it. Don't be a flea in a flea circus. Be a total infestation of fleas, which is a super gross analogy now that I think about it. Recover your sight. Get that aerial view. Follow Jesus. Glorify God. And you will be well. Amen? Amen. I'm going to have Alan.